So um, I have a question for you guys. It's hard to get this in there. Um, do you feel, you know, rested right now? Do you feel rested? Now, uh, that might be a tough question to answer because you might be like, what do you mean rested? You know, do I, am I talking about physically? Am I talking about mentally? Am I talking about spiritually? So let me, let me ask an, another question, you know, with regard to rest. Do you believe that this time that we're in right now, that this time and space is restful? Like, do you come in thinking that I'm going to be rejuvenated, I'm going to be restored, I'm going to be filled, and I'm going to come out more rested than I was when I came in? Now, I, I understand that there are some... You know, there are some different things that we might think with regard to that. There are some challenges to this time. The literal time is like 2 p.m. for our service. Now, throughout the week, 2 p.m. is usually when my body starts shutting down on me. I don't know about you guys, but 2 p.m. is like I'm super tired at this time, usually every single day. It's like post-lunch food coma we're battling. You know, there's this kind of just, I don't know, it's usually hot. It's usually like the time of day for me where I get this like desire to take a nap, even though I never take a nap. But, you know, it's like I want to at this time. And it's getting a little bit warmer. These things have an effect on our alertness. But, you know, if I when I ask you if you think that this time is restful, I'm obviously not referring to um, taking a nap which some of you will be tempted to do. Some of you will do, right, in this time. I'm not going to look up <laughs> anyone. But what I'm asking is, are you here because you know that this time set aside, you know, for you to be engaged in worship, for you to be engaged in God's word, for you to be engaged in fellowship with God's people is going to refresh and energize your heart? Like, do you believe that? Um, you know, we're in a series on Lent. If you're just joining us or maybe you haven't been here, we're in a series on Lent, the season we're in, which is 40 days leading up to Easter minus Sundays. So technically it's 46 days. Uh, and it's a season to prepare our hearts to celebrate the death and resurrection of Jesus, right? And traditionally, and I've said this the past few weeks, but it's also a season of kind of fasting. It's a season where we'll kind of cut things out of our lives so that we can deepen in our intimacy with Jesus to share in his sufferings, to have this kind of fellowship with him, to sharpen our focus for our hunger and our thirst on him. And this topic that we're going to talk about today, rest, is very important because I, I think this is a season in particular where we should try to engage in this notion of rest. Uh, in fact, and for me, here's something weird. We recently, you know, me, you know, Boomi and I, we are uh, one of our babysitters. Um, you know, she didn't have a full-time job, and then she got a full-time job, so we are minus one babysitter. Uh, so that means I'm staying home like three days a week to uh, watch the kids, right? So I, would, I always did that on Monday, but then Tuesday and Friday, I also do that. So my, you know, that's just like what I do on those days. And then at night when Boomy comes home, I go out and try to work. But it's like really tiring. <clears throat> I don't know if you have any, you know, you know a lot, some of you guys, a lot of you guys have experience like with kids. Um, and you've seen our kids, you know, the, the kids at our, our church. 
But it's like really tiring being with them all day, right? Like from the morning, you know, Boomy goes to work and I'm with the kids and just being with them all day and then, you know, feeding them and, you know, pooping them. They, they, they go poop themselves. I don't poop them. But, you know, you know what I'm saying, right? You know, you, you got to clean them and stuff. And Micah, like one time Micah, he went, he went poo, you know, in the bathroom in his little, his little thing, his little potty. And we have to clean it out for him. He went poo in his little potty. And I, he, I was like, hey, come over here. There was this one day, but it was like a crazy day. And I was like, come over here. You know, I have to like wipe your butt. And so he, he pooed in there he came out of the bathroom and then i said you know and he's just like naked on the bottom i said come back in here so i can wipe your butt and he's like no right because his own poo smelled so bad that he didn't want to come back into the bathroom so i could wipe his butt like that's the kind of stuff and then you know josiah's over there and he's like crying he's hungry i have to go back and feed him i have to wipe micah's butt fast so that i can clean this poo out so that i can wash my hands so i can go feed the other kid right and it's like that's just the kind of stuff that you deal with and it has nothing to do with my own you know like career or anything right like there's nothing there's nothing personally kind of fulfilling about this of course i mean i'm a father so i'm doing fatherly things for them but it can be super tiring, right? It can become very tiring, and then it's more tiring to do the other things. The other days when I'm having to do more, you know, pastoral stuff or church stuff. But the weird thing about it is I'm, I actually feel more rested than I have in a long time. How can that be the case? So that's what we're going to talk about today, actually. Um, You know, Lent, some of the things we've talked about is Lent affords us the opportunity to trust in Christ alone as kind of the bread that we need to hunger for him, to be still before him, to thirst for him. And what we're going to talk about today is how we can reconnect with the idea of rest, the rest that Christ offers. So what we'll talk about is what is the rest that Christ offers um, essentially, and how can we step into it? That's what we'll be looking at. And so if you guys have your Bibles, let's go ahead and open them up to um, Mark, the book of Mark, chapter 2. Mark 2, we'll start in verse 23. Mark two twenty-three, and um, we will read through verse, well, we'll read through verse 28 for now. Mark, this is Mark 2, 23. This is God's word. And it says, one Sabbath, he was going through the grain fields. And as they made their way, his disciples began to pluck heads of grain. And the Pharisees were saying to him, look, why are they doing what is not lawful on the Sabbath? And he said to them, have you never read what David did when he was in need and was hungry? He and those who were with him, how he entered the house of God in the time of of Abiathar the high priest, and ate the bread of the presence, which is not lawful for any but the priest to eat, and also gave it to those who were with him. And he said to them, The Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. So the Son of Man is Lord even of the Sabbath. Okay, so real quick, like what's happening here in this passage is Jesus and the Pharisees, they get into a debate about Sabbath law, right? The text tells us that it is the Sabbath, that's Saturday, um, just if you remember, uh, Sabbath was the, is the seventh day, and Saturday is the seventh day. Sunday is the first day of the week. And so 
what's um, there's something called the halakha, which is a set of kind of Jewish rules and practices, which encompasses. It's like the law plus the teachings of the rabbis plus like all these other things. So it included the actual law from the Bible, like the Mosaic law, but it actually included all these other things that rabbis would say that kind of added on to the law to guard the law. And so according to the, the halakha, there were 39 types of activities that you could not do on the Sabbath. So that included a bunch of stuff. It included like... Um, you couldn't walk more than a certain distance from your home. You couldn't cook on the Sabbath. You couldn't light a fire on the Sabbath. So there's all these kinds of things that you weren't allowed to do on the Sabbath. And one of the things you couldn't do was reap grain on the Sabbath, and that's what they're doing. That's what the, the disciples are doing. They're reaping grain. They're getting food to eat, essentially. And so the Pharisees come up, and they're like, you can't do that on the Sabbath. And this is a typical kind of religious debate that Jesus has with the Pharisees. Right? Remember, the Pharisees are kind of experts in the law. So they know the law very well. They're saying you can't do that. Now, Jesus responds by bringing up two points here. First, he paraphrases a story from 1 Samuel 21 when David is on the run from Saul. Now, remember, this is before David's king, but he's, kind of, he's supposed to be king, but Saul doesn't want him to be king, so Saul's trying to kill him. So he's chasing him and his men around, and David, there's an incident where David comes to um, the, the bread of the presence, which is kind of like this special bread that only the, the priests are supposed to eat. But he eats this bread, he and his men, because they're hungry and they're on the run, and the priest gives them their blessing, and the Bible never says anything bad about this. The Bible never says that this is the wrong thing to do. So Jesus is pointing out a couple things. One, he's saying, this law, right, this law that these things which you're talking about, he's saying even there are kind of exceptions, basically, is what he's saying, right? For example, you know, you're not supposed to work on Sabbath, but all of God's, you know, priests would work on the Sabbath, right? Because they would have special things that they're supposed to do. For example, like, you know, usually Sabbath is observed by Christians today on Sundays, but, you know, Randy and I, we work on Sunday, right? Like we work on the Sabbath and then we take our Sabbath on like a different day, right? And so he's bringing up, well, there are kind of exceptions to these rules that you're bringing up. And Jesus is implying something about himself, right? That he is, and he says it there, right? He's Lord of the Sabbath. He is in some way like King David. Now we'll get to that a little bit later. In the second part of his argument Jesus explains, or a second, a second part of his argument, is that he says, the Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. So this is kind of key, at least to what we're going to talk about here. He's saying that Sabbath, this rest that God gave to men, to people, was meant to be this, you know, one day out of seven rest from work, was meant to be this gift this gift of deep rest to be enjoyed. Now, the word Sabbath, Shabbat, means a deep rest or a deep peace. It's very, it's a near kind of almost synonym to the word shalom, which we talk about a lot, which refers to this wholeness and this flourishing in every dimension of life. So this, this is an amazing gift, something God created for man, But the Pharisees have turned the gift of God into this burdensome work. 
Because you can imagine, like, imagine what it's like to be a Pharisee on the Sabbath. You have to make sure you're not doing all these specific things, right? You couldn't carry a certain amount of weight, a certain distance, because they also considered that work. So you had to be careful even. And I, 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 I don't know if I brought this up to you guys before, but like they would, have, they would have these debates about it. Like they would get into the minutia of the law and they would be like, well, what if you were carrying a rock? And they're like, oh, no, well, it can't, be, it can't weigh more than this. They're like, oh, okay, that makes sense. That's work. Right? And then they would say, and then another rabbi would say, but what if a man was carrying a rock around, you know, like in his, in his, essentially like his pocket, basically. What if he was carrying around a rock in his pocket? He didn't know. And then he was, you know, is that violating the Sabbath? And then all the other rabbis would be like, oh, shoot, that's like a good, that's a good question. I don't know if that's violating the Sabbath. Now, to us, that might sound like, oh, well, who cares, right? Like, that's kind of ridiculous, the penalty for violating the Sabbath was death. If you worked on the Sabbath, you'd be put to death if you were found guilty. So this is not like a little deal, right? This is a, this is a big deal. Now, what Jesus is talking about, it seems, is he's talking about this physical work, right? Physical work occupies most of our lives. That's what we do most of the days of our lives. The days of our lives. That's, that's a soap opera. <laughs> I don't know if you guys. I didn't mean to do that. Um, but what Jesus is talking about the the kind of the rest that he wants to give them is from another kind of work, like a deeper work that's not physical. And it's I think it's a work that we all. It's a sense of work, right? It's a compulsion to work that we all feel it's usually what is burdening our hearts. And this is the, the work, you know, Tim Keller like calls it the work underneath work, right? It's the work underneath the work. And it's the work mostly that, that drives us. And one of, you know, this is one of Tim Keller's famous examples, but, uh, you know, there's really not a movie that's better than this movie, even though this movie is like 40 years old. But it's, it's a movie called Chariots of Fire, that's, you know, from 1981, but it's a movie about 1924, the 1924 Olympics. And there's these two guys who are racing in this movie. And one is a Jewish Englishman who runs to overcome prejudice. His name is Harold Abrahams. And it's just crazy because this is, it's like, this is a true story. And this is, these are the things that they said, right? And then the other guy's Eric Liddell, who's a, a Scottish Christian, who ends up becoming a missionary later on and, and does all these crazy things. But... So this guy, Harold Abrahams, he says, this is what he says when they ask, like, like this is his quote as to why he runs. He says, I will race my, I will, I, I'm sorry, not I will race. I will raise my eyes and look down that corridor four feet wide. So he's talking about the track, right? He's saying, I'll look down that with only 10 seconds to justify my whole existence. That's what he says. So they say, why do you run? Right? And he has a cause and stuff. He, he's running against prejudice. Like, that's his cause. But they say, why do you run? Like, what is, what is the work beneath your work? And he says, I do it to justify my whole, like, this 10 seconds. He's talking about he's running, like, the 100-meter dash, right, which takes roughly 10 seconds. 
And he's saying, I only have 10 seconds to prove that I'm worth something in the world. Like to justify my existence. And then Eric Liddell, same question, right? And this is how he answers it. He says, I believe God made me for a purpose, but he also made me fast. And when I run, I feel his pleasure. He says, I believe God made me for a purpose, but he also made me fast. And when I run, I feel his pleasure. It's crazy because that like work underneath the work, it's everywhere. It's usually like in every movie. You know, somebody, this is from another movie. All I want to do is go the distance. Nobody's ever gone the distance with Creed. Apollo Creed is from Rocky. And if I can go the distance, I'm, I'm going to know for the first time in my life that I'm not just another bum from the neighborhood. This is what Rocky says in Rocky 1. Right? And it's like, oh, yeah, that's... And you know, that's why you even root for Rocky, right? Because you're like, yeah, like, he's this underdog and you want him to succeed. You want him to prove that he's worth something. This is from another movie. See if you can, see if you can recognize, you know. I have often dreamed of a far-off place where a great warm welcome will be waiting for me, where the crowds will cheer when they see my face and a voice keeps saying, this is where I'm meant to be. You guys don't know yet. I will find my way. I can go the distance. I'll be there someday. If I can be strong, I'll know every mile will be worth my while. I would go most anywhere to find where I belong. It's from Hercules, (laughs) the Disney movie. And it's like funny, right? Because I actually, I didn't know the lyrics, right? So I had to look it up. And I looked it up on YouTube. You know, and then they play, you know, it's like a lyrics video, right? And they play the lyrics. And I'm listening to it. And I'm like, as I'm listening to it, I'm like, yeah, man, like, I want to go the distance, too. Like, I, you know, there's this kind of, like, inspirational feeling you get behind this idea of, yeah, I want to I wanna accomplish something. I want to do something great. And here's, here's the, the main point. Here's the main point about rest, the rest that Jesus offers. Rest in Jesus means to be and to feel free from the work beneath all work. It is both to be and to feel free from the work beneath all work. And this work, of course, is the work of self-justification. It is exactly what Harold Abram says, right? To justify my existence. To prove to people, to people around me, to people in my life, to my family, to my friends, to strangers, to prove to myself, and ultimately to prove to God that I'm worth something, that I'm valuable, that I'm important. Now, how can we be, how, how is it possible to be more tired and yet to feel more rested. Is that possible? Well, that's how I happen to feel right now. Not all the time, but it's the case right now. Well, how is that possible? Well, see, there is a reason to rest beyond just needing physical rest. Now, that's, uh, needing physical rest is one of the reasons that God gave us Sabbath, right? Because we do need rest, physical rest. But there is a reason beyond just needing rest to rest. Now, how do I know that? Because at the end of Genesis, 
you know, Genesis chapter 1, at the end of creation, or Genesis chapter 2, God rests. Right? At the end of everything that God creates, he rests. Why does God rest? God doesn't need to rest. He wasn't tired. I don't know why God, the infinite, you know, who is infinitely powerful, would be tired from just saying stuff, right? Basically, like, oh, let there be this and let there be that, and then it all happens. So he wouldn't, he's not tired. He doesn't need to rest. So then why did he rest? Well, another reason to rest is to just be satisfied. You know, to be so satisfied with your work that you can just leave it alone. When you can say to your work. So only when you can say to your work. And when I say work, I'm not just talking about work, right? When I say work, I'm not just talking about, like, your job. When I say work, I'm talking about everything that you consider work. Because, like, being a friend is work. And being a, being a daughter is work, right? Being a spouse is work. Being a parent is work. Like, these things are work. Right? And so you will never be able to rest from your work unless at some point you can say, I'm happy with it, I'm satisfied. That, that will be the only time that you can ever walk away from it. You could ever leave it alone for a little bit. At the end of each of God's created works, he says, it's good. Right? He creates light, separates light from light, he says, it's good. You know, separates the sea and the sky and the land. He's like, it's good. At the end of every day, right? He's like, it's good, it's good, it's good, it's good, it's good, it's good. And then at the end of everything, he says, it's very good. When he's done creating the whole universe, including our world, he says, it's all good, right? And then it's, he, he's essentially thinking, it's finished. It's done. I can rest. So when Jesus says, I'm the Lord of the Sabbath, he means he is the Sabbath. He's rest. He is the rest that we're looking for. He's saying, as the Lord of the Sabbath, I can give you real Sabbath rest. Shabbat. You know, this real rest, real peace from the work underneath your work. Because he came into our lives. He walked in our shoes. He went to the cross, our cross, to pay for our mistakes. And on the cross, he carried all of our unrest, all of our anxiety, all of our perceived inadequacy, everything we feel in ourselves that's not good enough because that's what's created from the work underneath our work. We can work as much as we possibly want to work, but you'll never feel like it's enough. You're like, ah, it's not enough. You can work and work and work and you'll feel like it's not enough. You can buy and buy and buy as a result of your work and you'll still feel like it's not enough. I'm not good enough. But when Jesus carried our sin to the cross, he bore all of it and he experienced all of that which he had not experienced before. Like prior to that, Jesus doesn't know anxiety. He doesn't know, you know, he doesn't know unrest. He doesn't know that feeling, those feelings, and those feelings weren't his because he didn't sin, but he carried all of ours. And then at the end of it, he says, it's finished. It's over. It's done. And he purchased our rest so that we could step into his work and say, it's finished. So how do we do that? Okay, how do we step into that rest? I want to give us a you know, few points of application, but don't get too excited because it's going to take a while. <laughs> uh, point number one. Uh, seek rest in Christ's 
righteousness rather than proof of your own. Seek rest in Christ's righteousness rather than proof of your own. Now, let me just, I'll just give you a personal example, okay? When I come up here to preach, I can come up here in one of two ways. I can think, I now have 40 minutes or 50 minutes or sometimes, sorry, longer than that. I have however many minutes to justify my existence. Here is, here is proof that I am somebody, that I'm worth something. I come up here and I talk, and if I do a good job, then I'm worth something. I prove that my existence is worthy. Or I can think, God made me with a purpose, right? And one of the things that he made me to do is to preach, and when I do it, I feel his pleasure. Like, I feel that burden, I, I don't happen to feel it today, <laughs> thankfully. But there's plenty of times, right? Sometimes before, sometimes after. It's like, oh, did I, did I justify my existence today? Did I, did I do a good... And it's not just preaching. It could be as a husband. It could be as a father. Did I justify... Am I good enough today? Was I good enough today? Here's the thing. That... that burden to prove yourself, right? To look in your own life for proof that you're worth something, that you're intelligent or that you're competent or that you're holy or that you're good at your job or that you're a good friend or a good son or a good mom or a good teacher or a good leader, you know, whatever, right? That, that, that burden to prove that you're good enough and that sense that you're not good enough that doesn't come from God. That's not from God. Right? That, that burden comes from deep in our hearts. But that's not a burden that God desires to put on you. And it's certainly one that he desires to remove from you. It's one that he wants to take away. And it's one that only he can take away. Nothing else is going to take that away. It doesn't matter how hard you work. It doesn't even matter how good you do. You could do an awesome job. And for like one second, you will feel like the burden is gone. And then a second later, it'll be back on to the next thing. Something, <laughs> now, you know, the fact that only God can take that away. Here's, what it, here's in part what it means. Because I, I hear sometimes Christians say something like this, like, I'm taking a break. You know, like I'm taking a break from church, something like that, right? And it can be, you know, and I've heard it, I've heard it said in different ways. I'm taking a break from church, I'm taking a break from this or that or this group or that group or whatever, these people or the Bible or whatever. Like I've, I've heard people say this in all kinds of different ways, taking a break, right? Let me just tell you, okay, if you're a Christian, you already know this, but sometimes you don't believe it. You can't take a break from God. And I don't mean you can't like, oh, it's wrong to. I mean, you literally can't because if you run away from God, which is essentially what you're doing, it's not going to feel like a break. Like you could think it in your head. You can try to talk yourself into it like, oh, yeah, I'm taking a break. I'm going to feel better. I'm going to feel renewed and, you know, rejuvenated. And then I'm going to come back like stronger than ever, right? Like refreshed and like more into God than I ever was. No, you won't. Right. Have you have you looked in the Bible? Like, remember the prodigal son? That's probably what he thought. Like, I need a break from my father. I need to get out of here. 
you know, Luke 15, like, I'm going to get out of here. I'm going to live it up on my own. I need this freedom to just enjoy my life. And like a second later, he's living in the gutter, begging, and he's thinking, man, I'm going to go back to my father and just be one of his servants. You know, I'm not saying this, like, and if you've done that or if you're thinking of doing that or whatever, right? Like, this is not to condemn or accuse or anything like that. I'm trying to tell you the truth. There's no rest out there apart from God. Like, there's two ways to receive a gift, right? Somebody gives you, if somebody gives me a gift today, I walk off this, you know, whatever. It's after church and somebody says, hey, Joe, you know, just want to say, like, thank you for being a pastor here, I bought you some shoes or something, right? It's like, oh, some new shoes. Like, oh, cool. Like, thank you. Now, there's two ways I can accept that gift. There, well, really three ways. But basically, one, I could say, thank you, right? And I could think, let's say Randy gives me, I walk off the scene and Randy gives me a gift. I can say, dude, Randy, thank you so much. I can be appreciative. I can be grateful. And I could think, Randy's a great guy, dude. Like, gave me this gift. Like, thank you. And then I can wear the shoes next Sunday or whatever. Their basketballs. I wear them on the basketball court. I'd be happy, right? Enjoy them. Or he gives me the gift, and I think, this proves I'm worthy. You know, this proves I'm a good pastor because he gave me a gift. And it proves something about me, that I'm doing a good job and then instead of wearing the shoes, I put them in a case, right? And then I put them up in my office. I never wear them, right? But I just look at them. And then I show other people. I say, hey, look at my shoes. You know what you know, gave me those shoes? This guy, because I'm awesome. Now, this is what the Pharisees did with Sabbath. God gives them this gift, right? And then instead of, en- instead of putting it on and enjoying it, they said, We're going to make it into a thing that proves something about us. We are holy because we observe Sabbath. This is often what we do with the whole of Christianity. Instead of making it, instead of just enjoying it and loving it, we turn it into something about us to prove something to someone. I would say, don't do that. Rest in Christ's righteousness. Only he, he doesn't want to burden you. Not only does he not want to burden you, but he's the only one that can unburden you from that inadequacy, fear, doubt. You know, not not winning the big fight or the race or the lottery for that matter. No thing you can buy. No amount of, you know, whatever, likes, hearts, retweets, food or drink vacation or sleep God saying you are good you're good God saying your work is finished because of Jesus when we hear that and when we believe that our hearts do let me just testify your heart will increasingly find rest You'll feel rested. And you'll be able to work and serve and forgive and love and help and care for others out of rest, not out of your unrest. So real quick, before I move on from this, I'll just say one practical way to do this is to actually observe Sabbath. Right? Like one day out of the week where 
you don't work, right? And obviously, you worship God and you spend time with God, you know, like going to church, for example. Um, And, you know, one thing that's very interesting about Sabbath, the idea of Sabbath itself, when God gave his people Sabbath, when he said, hey, take Sabbath, there's only, well, there's one group of people that didn't, that could never take Sabbath, right? Well, on their own, it couldn't be like of their own accord, and that's slaves. Slaves didn't have Sabbath, right? They had to work for their masters regardless of what the situation was, and in many ways, taking Sabbath is a way for you to say that you're not a slave to whatever your work is. If you can never not work because you feel like you have to, then really, kind of definitionally, you are a slave to that, whatever that is. And so I would say, make sure there's a weekly time in your life when you let go of all work. All work. When you're able to just like talk and do and say and just go and do whatever on the basis of just kind of like how you feel and you can explore things and you can think and it doesn't have to be like, okay, what do I have to do next? What's going to happen tomorrow? Like, what's my schedule? Like this and this and that. So that's, that was the first point. Seek rest in Christ's righteousness rather than proof of your own. Here's second. I promise they'll be a little bit shorter from here. But uh, application point number two, uh, seek to do good to others rather than to be better than them. Seek to do good to others rather than to be better than them. And this is, uh, so this is the, the next passage, right? It says, again, he entered the synagogue and a man was there with a withered hand and they watched Jesus to see whether he would heal him on the Sabbath so they might accuse him. And he said to the man with the wizard, withered hand, come here. And he said to them, is it lawful on the Sabbath to do good or to do harm, to save life or to kill? But they were silent. And he looked around at them with anger, grieved at their hardness of heart, and said to the man, stretch out your hand. He stretched it out, and his hand was restored. The Pharisees went out and immediately held counsel with the Herodians against him how to destroy him. Okay, so... Um, now, you know what? I, I'm, like, I don't even want to get into this too much. Essentially, Jesus says, what's the Sabbath for? Right? Is it lawful on the Sabbath to do good or to do harm, to save life or to kill? Now, that seems like an easy answer question, right? It's like, well, what should you do? Should you help people or harm people? Should you save people or kill them? And it seems like that's an easy question to answer, right? But the Pharisees are so wrapped up in their religion, Right? They're so wrapped up in trying to do what they perceive to be the right thing according to their law that they can't answer the question. And then Jesus is like, man, right? what is wrong with you? He's like, what is wrong with you? That's easy, right? Should you do good or harm? Should you save life or kill? The Pharisees aren't thinking about the one who needs to be saved or the one who needs to be helped. They're thinking about themselves. How do I appear? Do I appear righteous or do I appear unrighteous? That's what they're more concerned about. Oftentimes in our lives, this is how things become too. The framework through which we view things is not how can I help or how can I do good to others? It's how do I look? Do I look holy for doing this? Do I look like a good person, a good worker, 
right? Sometimes that's how we see all of our jobs, right? Only like, do I do things when the boss is looking and we're paying attention? Like, am I going to get in trouble for this? Am I going to be praised for this? Am I going to get a promotion for this or not? Right? Same thing can apply to our parents at times. The same things can apply to our friends at times or our relationships. The same thing, same thing can apply to our families. Like oftentimes what we're thinking about is not so much how people are affected by what we do, but how we appear to be. Am I justified? Am I doing the right thing? Do I look good? Seek to do good to others rather than to judge them. And I'll just real quick say, this is why, okay? Uh, I think what we think about the world, and this is true even like almost on a societal scale, but sometimes we think there's like a pool of resources in the world. Like let's just say, let's say there's like, there's a joy pie, you know, in the world. There's a, there's a, you guys know what I'm talking about? Like a, like, you know, like a, a pie, like a pie graph type thing, you know, and there's like a, there's one big pool, you know, of joy in the world and, you know, we think that for somebody else to have some joy, I have to give some of mine away because there's only so much. Right? But the truth is, when we try to take joy, it's not that we're taking it from other people. It's what we're actually doing is making the whole pie smaller. Like, that's what's actually happening. And when we take some of our joy and we give it to other people, it's not that we are losing joy, but we are making the whole pie bigger. Right? What, I, what I mean to say is this, doing good to others, the joy that comes from it is multiplicative. Right? It adds unto itself. The difference between what you do as a slave and what you do as a servant, like what is considered you have to, Versus what is considered sacrifice is your choice, right? If you think all the time, I'm doing things for other people because I have to, then essentially you're a slave with no choices. But if you think I'm doing good things for other people out of my own sacrifice because I want to, even though it's hard and even though, you know, there's all these reasons not to for my own sake, that's that's kind of that's servanthood that's sacrifice that's what jesus wants us to step into because it will multiply not just our joy really but our rest and this is this is the last thing i'll touch on it quickly um seek all satisfying joy in worship of christ not just shallow religion Seek all satisfying joy in worship of Christ, not just shallow religion. Now, what I mean is that in Jesus, there is an all-satisfying joy. There is a deep joy. Now, I'm not saying we have to be in touch with that all the time. But what I mean to say is that it's there, and it is what ultimately we should be seeking. I want to, this is a quote from N.T. Wright, and he said this, How can you live with the terrifying thought that the hurricane has become human, that the fire has become flesh, that life itself became life and walked in our midst? Christianity either means that or it means nothing. It is either the most devastating disclosure of the deepest reality of the world 
Or it's a sham, a nonsense, a bit of deceitful play acting. Most of us unable to cope with saying either of those things condemn ourselves to live in the shallow world in between. The Pharisees, upon meeting Jesus, upon this encounter with Jesus, do you know what they decide? They decide, we have to kill this man. Right? Like, we have to destroy this man. Because they believe it is a sham. It is nonsense. It's, it's deceitful. This guy is claiming, essentially, when he says, I'm Lord of the Sabbath, he's basically saying, I'm God. And they're saying, you're not God. And so we have to kill you now. And what N.T. Wright is saying is that that is a more logical response than often our response, which is just something in between this man is God and this man is a deceiver. It's kind of just something in the middle, a bit of a bit of the shallow world in between. So, you know, we I went to, Micah and I went to Disneyland this past week with some of the families, right? Because they were going and we have a pass. So just, you know, just me and him. We went with some of the other people. And, um, you know, so we had to leave, obviously, you know, in the middle of the day, which is fine because we have passes, so it d- doesn't really matter. But, you know, it was like close to his nap time and we're leaving. And the, the, the funny thing is, like, Micah, he's, he didn't want to leave, right? And, um, you know, he, kept, he keeps saying, when it gets close to his sleep time, he keeps saying, like, oh, I want to do this or I want to do that, right? He's like, oh, let's go here. And then we ran into some, like, stormtroopers. He's like, oh, let's go see those, you know, storms. Like, it's like on the way out. We're leaving. And he's like, oh, let's go over there. And the thing is, on his face, right, he's so tired. <laughs> like, I could see it on his face. He's falling asleep. Like, he's in the stroller. He's, like, falling asleep. But he's, like, trying to keep his eyes open. Because he's like, oh, gosh, like, I want to just soak in as much as I can. And I think we, most of us even know what that's like, right? There's times where you're binge watching something and it's like late at night and you're like, why am I still awake right now? I don't know, but this show is so compelling. Like, I want to just keep doing it. Or you're playing some stupid game on your phone and before you know it, like an hour has passed and you're just like, what is going on here? Why am I doing this? And this is something important that you got to know, okay, for rest. Sleep is not nearly as restorative as joy. Because oftentimes we think rest is associated with doing nothing. But your heart, your heart doesn't find rest in sleep. It finds rest in joy. Every act, let me just say some things to you, okay, to close. Like rejoice in these gospel words. Every act of faithfulness you've done this week, God has seen and smiled upon. Small or big. You know, every act of good you've performed to your neighbor, you know, your literal neighbor or your neighbor at work or your neighbor in your family or your neighbor at church, God has seen and God will use. No matter what you did yesterday, God doesn't love you less today. No matter what you do tomorrow, God won't love you less than he does today. Let the gospel push your heart to believe that Jesus truly is more than enough. Like he's more than enough. This is kind of what Lent is all about. 
is to get our hearts to a place where we really believe like Jesus is more than enough. No matter what you're worried about, he's more than enough to handle it. No matter what obstacles lie ahead, he's more than enough to conquer them. No matter what you feel held by, he's more than enough to break you free of it. No matter what you feel burdened by, he's more than enough to lift it. No matter what doubt you have, what little faith you have, he's more than enough to use that small bit of faith to be more than enough for him to do something with it. His love is enough and his forgiveness is enough and his presence is enough, and his grip is tight. He's not going to let you go. That's why we come back here week in and week out. It's not the band. <laughs> it's not the snacks. It's certainly not me. It's God's spirit calling out to us, telling our hearts, saying, I'm here. Rest in me. Let's pray together. Father God, we do not desire shallow religion God we do not desire a weak happiness but we desire a deep all satisfying joy in worship of you and God wherever we are on that spectrum wherever we are in that process we pray that you know the words that you remind us of of your enoughness God of your sufficiency we pray that those would be true that you would allow us to deeply appreciate and worship you in response to them God in response to what you've done and who you are thank you spirit would you would you take this time and all of us and would you make it yours we entrust it to you. We thank you and we love you. In Jesus' name we pray.